Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a good weekend despite another lackluster Oklahoma State football performance? Carson, I had a great weekend. I played in a golf tournament instead of going to Stillwater, which was a good call. The golf tournament went very well. Uh, and it may be week two of the football season, but it is week 10, Carson, of the pregnancy, which means this afternoon we have an ultrasound and a blood test to determine the gender of the baby. So Whoa. nerves are rattling today. Oh, what's uh, what's mom and dad feeling here? What are we, what are we uh, leaning towards? I think we're leaning ever so slightly, and I do mean ever so slightly. Either way, we'll be happy. Uh, I think we're leaning ever so slightly toward a little uh, future cowgirl. And, okay. But if it's a future cowboy, that works too. We'll we'll be happy either way. So sure. uh, we're getting pretty excited, though. That's super exciting, man. I'm I'm really happy for you. And uh, you know, mothers usually have a good intuition on those things, but there's also lots of surprises. So you'll have to just wait for the ultrasound. But that's that's really exciting, and and certainly more exciting than the uh, OSU Tulsa game, which we're going <laughs> to get into. And boy, do we we have a lot to discuss this week. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit. Your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. There was a lot of university spirit in the stadium on Saturday. I commend anyone and everyone who stayed in that scorching hot stadium until the final whistle because it was like 117 degrees at field level. It was every bit 100 degrees in the stands. I commend everyone that was at that game as long as they were. It was just it was a brutal, brutal weather day uh, for, for OSU and Tulsa. So plenty of university spirit there. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the pod. You did miss out on the heat, Colby, by not going to the game. It was brutal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was hot at the golf course, but I not nearly as hot as it would have been in that stadium. My mom, dad, and sister were up there, and they said that it was absolutely miserable. They said that the weather was almost as bad as the football, and that's saying something. Yeah, I mean, just you get around all that pavement around the stadium, and just it's like you're in an oven. It just <laughs> it was hot, so. Uh, we have a lot to get to here, Colby. Let's let's start with the OSU Tulsa game, and we all kind of thought, you know, in general, that the return of Spencer Sanders was going to be this great elixir for the offense. He would be opening up the running game with his legs, and the offense would really get going. But Colby, yet another disaster, a disastrous yeah. offensive performance from OSU. They had seven points through three quarters. And they couldn't run the football against Tulsa. And, and Tulsa's better up front, certainly, than a Missouri State, Colby. But just this has turned into, for me, a worrying performance against Missouri State to an all-out DEFCON 1. Uh, this offense is broken uh, for me after watching that game against Tulsa. The offensive line is just such a disaster. And look, Tay Martin with the ankle, uh, he came out early and then we didn't really see much from him. Braden Johnson was out. I understand it wasn't full strength at the receiving core, but that's not where the failures happened offensively. It all started up front. Gundy talked about it a little bit, the inability to protect Sanders. I, I just don't understand why we're still going on, what, seven years in a row maybe now of talking about these offensive lines. And I really didn't think we could get to a worse place with the offensive line than where we were at Mason Rudolph's freshman and sophomore year. I thought that that was really the low point, and you come back up from there. Uh, this may be the low point, or maybe Oklahoma State is reinventing ways to find the low point at offensive line because 
it, it just, it's, it's not good, Carson. It's not good. I don't know that it's fixable. Um, I, there are rumors that things inside the offensive line room are not great, um, that they're not all 100% on the same page. I mean, when Charlie Dickey came over, uh, everybody expected things to take an uptick, and you can make a pretty strong argument that it's gone the other way. Spencer Sanders immediately has guys in the backfield. L.D. Brown, Jalen Warren, Dominic Richardson, whoever touches the ball. Carson, how many carries a game is Oklahoma State getting right now where they don't have to make a guy miss in order to get back to the line of scrimmage? It is a complete disaster up front. Let me take a sip of my coffee here. I, there's a lot to get to there. <laughs> what, what are you? What rumors are there about this offensive line? You can't just throw uh, that out there without giving me what, what's going the, the juice. Well, it is just rumors, but I I've heard some things that maybe Charlie Dickey and a couple of guys on that line aren't on the same page, uh, and that maybe um, that could have been a reason why we didn't see Caleb Etienne on Saturday. I've just it's rumors. It's not substantiated, and I don't want to go crazy conspiracy theory guy. I've just heard some things that maybe everyone's not in the same page on the same page in that room, uh, and that could be part of the reason why it just looks like there's no cohesiveness. It looks like they're they're not on the same page. I mean, Carson, it's a disaster what's happening up front right now. And I mean, prior to the season, look. Preseason predictions are what they are. They're preseason predictions. They're based on what we knew from a year ago. Things change. You said 10 and 2. I said 9 and 3. Uh, and now we're coming off consecutive weeks where Oklahoma State <laughs> fails to get to 30 against Missouri State and Tulsa. And I I gotta be honest with you, Carson. I don't know when they're gonna get to 30. Barring defensive touchdowns, I don't know when they're gonna get to 30. They used to do that in a half. Oh. I mean, they used to have like they had 313 total yards. That was like the first half against Pitt with Mason Rudolph and James Washington. Like it's gone, it's gone so far south. It's it's really hard to to grasp and fathom. But you mentioned how terrible they were up front. They were again. You Colby, I, I know you can't take out certain rushes, but for me, the the run by Spencer Sanders where he fumbled and OSU got the review and got the ball back, that was kind of a broken play. And that was basically a 37-yard run. You take that out, OSU runs for 100 yards on 42 carries. So this broken play where Sanders just makes things happen on his own, you take that out, they, they average two yards per carry again. It was 1.9 against Missouri State. That would essentially get them to like 2.2, 2.3 yards per carry against Tulsa. I don't see how this is fixable. You can tell me they don't have Hunter Woodard, and I, I understand those things. But is, is Hunter Woodard the missing link for them rushing for four or five yards per carry? I don't think so. And now you're, now you're taking a step up against Boise, which we'll get to later. But just for me, Colby, it's shocking how bad they are at running the football. And, and here's another thing. Like, you have to try new things. And, of course, Dominic Richardson gets in there. They give him a carry. He runs for 13 yards, their longest rush of the season – at that up until that point and he never touches the ball again I mean we can get into the personnel and, and the fact that they don't know who's good on their team and they don't know who's going to end up playing in the NFL which I want to get to and the fact they don't utilize their strengths of their other players like a Brennan Presley they literally can't even identify who to play at running back and it, to me that it, it starts and ends with the offensive line but for me they don't even know who to play at tailback which is just mind-numbing 
Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, it is in, in one sense an embarrassment of riches. And in one sense, it's like, well, we really don't know who the guy is. It kind of looked like Jalen Warren because behind this offensive line, he seems the best at dancing and being able to get around guys, uh, making guys miss before you get to the line of scrimmage, which is what you're going to have to do playing running back for Oklahoma State. But the Hunter Woodard thing, I, I get it. I do. You're, you're missing a guy. That guy gets back. It helps. But Carson, maybe this is our fault for assuming that this line would be even remotely competent this year. The, the line wasn't great last year, and they lost a first-round pick to the NFL draft. Maybe this is our fault for assuming that this line would lose a first-round NFL draft pick and still be competent. I don't know. I just it, it seems like it seems like you'd be able to do enough up front to make it work. And man, I just don't know. It was watching some other college football games Saturday was a little bit depressing. Uh, I was able to watch some of the afternoon and night games. And other, other programs around the country, I mean, I was watching Colorado and A&M, and I watched a drive where Colorado's offensive line just absolutely manhandled A&M's defensive line and their linebackers. They were getting to the second level on almost every run. If they wouldn't have turned it over toward the end of the drive, Colorado probably uh, wins that game. But I, I just watch other programs, and they've just got five guys up front who aren't all going to be Hall of Famers in the NFL. But you know what they can do? They can stand up and move somebody off the ball and at least let their running back have some sort of hole where they're not getting contacted and having to make a guy miss three, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, some of it's in the pass blocking, too. How about one of the first plays of the game where Spencer Sanders is standing back there and Tulsa gets an unblocked rusher off of his blind side for an easy sack, a guy that literally just wasn't accounted for, doesn't get touched, and takes your quarterback down. That's a good way to install comfort and confidence and a guy who's playing football for the first time in 11 months. Let's just let a guy run free, and now we get to be nervous all day that our offensive line doesn't know who's coming from where. I just I can't really even say enough about what a disaster it was. There, there's nothing we could possibly say that would do justice to what a disaster the offensive line has been through two weeks. Yeah, and I, I bought into all the hype and all the talk in fall camp about, you know, Godlevsky at center is going to make a big difference, the – the man mountain Etienne at left tackle is going to make a big difference. And and I bought in and clearly this offensive line to me looks worse. You mentioned it, Tevin Jenkins. He went in the second round, not the first, which he should have gone in the first, uh, but pardon me, yes. unfortunately he's, he's injured right now and out for the year, unfortunately, but, but you're right. I mean, your, your point is well made that, you know, Tevin Jenkins was a first round caliber offensive lineman and you take him off the team and he was in and out of the lineup with injuries during his time at OSU. But I don't know. It's, um, to me, the offensive line's worse. We know the, the offense as a whole is worse. And look, Mike Gundy, all he wants to talk about is how young they are at receiver and cowboy back. If I hear him say that one more time, I'm going to lose it. Like, we don't care, Mike. We don't care that you're young at receiver. We don't care. Get rid of the stupid name of cowboy back while we're at it. They're, they're not tight ends. They're, they're H-backs. The, the, the term cowboy back is becoming annoying to me because they, they put so much emphasis on it and has so little relevance to this offense. They don't catch passes. They seemingly don't know how to block. I don't care if you're young at cowboy back, take them off the field and go spread. That's, that's one thing. But this offense, Colby, I, I was very perturbed and I, I want to get into Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn. Mike Gundy, I thought said a lot of great things at the podium. He said, we got to get better. We got to find, we have to shrink the playbook, find things we're good at. 
Uh, we need to, we frankly need to get better at designing plays, which I thought was an indictment on KC Dunn. I mean, it's week three of the season and we all, they already need a playbook. They already need a new playbook and tear it up and start over. But Casey Dunn's press conference, they haven't put it up on their YouTube page. I, I had it because they, they sent it out to the media. I was perturbed by his press conference. He basically was in a great mood. He's like, man, I'm tickled. I'm tickled we won the game and made plays at the end to win. And then he, and when the media was like, uh, Casey, you can't run the football. What, what's up? He's like, oh, it's just – it's fundamentals. I don't think it's scheme. And I'm like, huh? Your head coach just said you need to get better at designing plays. And Casey Dunn was like, I'm going to go have a beer up in my office. That's the exact quote. I'm going I'm to go have a beer in my office. I'm so fired up that we won that game and those guys made plays. It's like, Casey, your offense is a dumpster fire. It is a train wreck to watch. You can't even run the football for more than two yards per carry. Your, your offense essentially has turned into run it up the gut twice and throw a fade route and hope your wide receivers are more athletic than the DB and come, just happen to come down with it. That's the most unimaginative, uh, really out-of-ideas offense you can possibly come up with. And so, Colby, I, I know you probably didn't see the Casey Dunn press conference, but very different messages coming out of Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy. I think Mike Gundy has a firmer grasp on reality, and I'm, I'm curious to see how those meetings went this week. Yeah, I just – you know, Carson, hot seat sports talk is my least favorite kind of sports talk because there are real people on the other side of these conversations, good people that we know and that we've talked to uh, and that we like to see have success. But it's the reality of sports and the reality right now for Oklahoma State is that the offense is as bad as it's been uh, probably in Mike Gundy's entire tenure in Stillwater. And I can't remember who it was. It was maybe it was Adam Lund or maybe it was somebody else posted the play calls for Oklahoma state, the plays that were run on second eight or longer. So you have second down. This is the down where you put yourself in a position to have success on third down. That's something Peyton and Eli talked about last night that I'm sure you heard you, you put yourself in six in position to have success on third down on second down. So Oklahoma state second and eighths or longer. There's about 15 uh, ish of these in here, 14 are runs, most of them going for three yards or less. Carson, there was one pass on a second and 10, goes for 21 yards, and they decided, no, 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 no. That was too much. Let's not do that again. And after the 21-yard pass, there were five more second down plays of eight yards or longer. All five were runs. Only two went for more than two yards. And Carson, I'm telling you, that Jalen Warren run, which was a phenomenal run, maybe the play of the weekend in college football, when Jalen Warren danced around all those guys in the backfield and then cuts to the edge, gets the corner and scores. Carson, if he doesn't score on that play, and he shouldn't have, we know what they were doing on third down. They ran it on first. They ran it on second. We know what they were doing on third down. They were throwing a fade. Also, yep. if Bryson Green doesn't bail them out with what might end up being the best catch we see all year from Oklahoma State, that was an unbelievable play from a true freshman. If he doesn't bail them out with that catch, things go south Real quick, whenever you have to kick a field goal on that possession, there are so many ways where if guys don't make individual, just over-the-top exceptional plays, I'm talking about Bryson Green and Jalen Warren, Oklahoma State is very much in jeopardy of losing that game. So I, I just, 
It's run, run, pass. It's fades. It's just very vanilla running the ball. Very little uh, designed for Spencer to take it once you've really got the defense going one way. Like you said, the best running play of the entire game was the busted play where Spencer ends up fumbling and then gets lucky that the guy rolls out of bounds and touches the ball. It just... From, from a scheme standpoint, from putting yourself in a position to have success on third down standpoint, uh, complete, complete train wreck. Yeah, it's, it's amazing just how predictable they are. Like the, the runs on first down that you mentioned. And you want to know how bad they were on offense, Colby? They didn't have a third and short the entire game. If that doesn't tell you how bad they were on first and second down, nothing will. I mean, do you know how bad you have to be on offense, Colby, to not have a third and short? The entire for an entire football game, it's almost impossible. You have to be completely inept for that to happen, and that's what occurred. And so, where they go from here, I have no idea. Look, we we've speculated on getting Brennan Presley more involved on jet sweeps and shorter passes, and it seems like when they throw the ball to the running backs, they they catch the ball and they they gain yardage. That to me could be an extension of the running game, but. But let's face it, Colby, if you can't just hand the ball off and run the football, you're essentially doomed. And I think this offense through two games is worse than Mike Gundy's first year in 2005. I just looked it up. In 2005, they averaged four yards per carry. Mike Hamilton ran for nearly 1,000 yards, 961 to be exact. And they're on pace to average about two yards per carry. Now, maybe the, maybe they'll get Sanders more involved running the football. I do think that's one thing that They've held back on. I think they're trying to protect Spencer Sanders from getting hurt, which he is, we all know, want to do. Um, but it's time, Colby, to take off the leash off Spencer Sanders and let him run the football because I don't think they have much choice. I mean, that that, that great – one of the best play calls of the day was the, the, the lineup in the I formation, fake the handoff, and have Sanders running just an old-school bootleg at the end of the game against Tulsa. They, they've got to they've got to unleash his legs because Colby, we we've seen now it's 21, 22 games now for Spencer Sanders. He's not a good enough thrower. You have to utilize his legs because he's not good enough just to beat you with his arm. Yeah, and the thing is. You know, you do have to give credit on the third and eight play at the end of the game. Also, what was Tulsa doing? Everybody selling out for an I-formation turnaround and hand the ball off. Not one guy on defense thought, gee, I don't know, maybe this is a bootleg. I, I thought that, <laughs> that was indefensible from Tulsa's standpoint with the game on the line. But that's a week one to week two improvement against Missouri State. You go out, you have a chance to get a first down and ice the game. You can't do it. Your defense has to win it for you. Against Tulsa, you have a chance to go out and get a first down and ice the game. They went out and got a first down and ice the game on a nice run by Spencer. Sanders but like you said you know I've always been uh, a, a Sanders over Illingworth guy I think Illingworth would work maybe like on the 2011 team when you have a great offensive line and you can stand back there comfortably and you don't need your quarterback to do extra things in the run game in an offense like that maybe Illingworth's a better fit but in this offense I just think you have to have Spencer out there because he allows you an extra element in that run game but if you're not willing to use it and use it consistently then it's not going to benefit you it's like uh, I, and this is, this might be a weird comparison, but forever Cam Newton was so good in the NFL. He was so good in Carolina. And why is that? He was younger. His body wasn't beat up and they were willing to let him take off on any short yardage situation. He was the best goal line back. He was one of the best goal line backs in NFL history playing quarterback. And then what happened? He got older. His body wears down. Teams decided not, you know, the Panthers and the Patriots decide not to run him very often. And now when he's not running, He's not a good enough passer to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Spencer Sanders, he's okay as a passer. He's fine. He's average. 
but he's not a good enough passer that you can ask him to just stand back there and be Brandon Whedon because that's not who he is. For him to maximize his talent and for you to get the most out of him, he has to be a dual threat. He cannot just be a pocket passer. Um, you know, I thought he looked remarkably rusty in the first half of that game, just way more so than I even would have thought. Second half, I thought was a little bit better. You know, he threw the really bad interception in the first half. That's the full Spencer Sanders experience. Second half, I thought he was a little better. He got lucky on the fumble. Hopefully, he kicked all the rust off because if he starts the game against Boise State like he started the game against Tulsa, it's going to be big, big problems. He could have thrown three pick sixes in this game. He threw one. And then the, the, the screen to Presley, like I was bang, bang. It almost got picked and that would have gone to the house. And there was another one that I thought he threw in the flat that, that could have been picked off and, and run the other way. So it's just, to me, it's just that, that game sum, summarized Spencer Sanders career, the pick six, just when, when OSU seemingly in control, totally flips the game on its head. Then the, the fumble, I mean, he makes this great individual play. He shows off his just, unbelievable athleticism running the football and he doesn't put the football in his opposite arm he fumbles and gets lucky that Tulsa's guy happened to be have a leg out of bounds when they recovered it it was just like the full Spencer Sanders experience you know Brian Keating compared him to Russell Westbrook and he's not Russell Westbrook in terms of his greatness he's, he's Russell Westbrook in terms of he can make a spectacularly amazing play or a spectacularly awful play all on the same play. <laughs> and that's what we saw from Spencer. And the student section was chanting, we want Shane at certain points in the game. And for me, Colby, if they go to Boise and just get their doors blown off and Sanders turns it over and is, is ineffective, I think it's, it's time to have a discussion as a coaching staff if it is time to turn the page and just go with Illingworth, go with the younger guy, the guy who can throw it better and just kind of open up the throwing game and, and go with that. Because we are 21, 22 games into the Spencer Sanders deal. At this point, you kind of know what you have. We've, we've been waiting for the green light to come on. And maybe it's not fair to make that decision after three games in the season. But I'm, I'm prepared if they get housed against Boise and Sanders is ineffective, I, I'm prepared to turn the page to Illingworth. How do you feel about it? I just... I think if you had an offense where you could use a pocket passer, I don't know that I would hate it at this point because, I mean, really, I expected – Just go uh, full Texas Tech. Just I go just, five wide and don't run the ball. I, I mean, maybe, They can't run the ball anyway. Maybe that's the solution, go full five wide. It doesn't seem like they're willing to do that. I just – what we saw from week one against Missouri State with Illingworth wasn't great, wasn't terrible, missed on a few long ones, but he was fine. He threw one interception. Um I just, I still feel like you need the dual threat guy, but I'm, I'm not as committed to Sanders as I would have been even a week ago because I still keep waiting for and expecting this leap. And I thought, you know, you get the full off season now with Tim Rattay. He comes in, we're going to see this leap. And man, he looks so uncomfortable against Tulsa. It was his first football game in 11 months. So I'm willing to... I'm willing to say maybe he kicks some rust off and we'll see what he looks like moving forward. But I will say the leash for me is a lot shorter now than it was at this same time a week ago because you, you just can't be giving away football games. And like you said, Spencer Sanders, it, he's got a little bit of Russell Westbrook in him, but the highs aren't quite as high and the lows are still as low. I mean, that intercept, the pick six that he threw against Tulsa, who, buddy, 
That was a linebacker staring you in the face with no receiver within 10 yards of the football, and you hit a linebacker right in the chest and let him take it to the house at a point when Oklahoma State, up 7-0, having just scored, could have driven down and made it 10 or 14 to nothing going into halftime. That's a huge play in that game. So while I'm still willing to let Sanders hopefully develop a little bit more, uh, and hopefully that was just some rust that we saw on Saturday, I am, I am inching closer to going to Shane Illingworth, but it would, it would require a different offense though, Carson, it, it would not be able to be the same offense. It would have to be full Texas tech. Yeah. I mean, I, and the odds of Mike Gundy ever doing that's slim and none. I mean, the guy values running the football too much and I understand it's important, but they've shown no signs they can do that at all. So like if I was just playing NCAA on, on PlayStation back in the day when I was in college, I would just go to the tech offense. If I can't run the ball. I'm just going five wide and we're going to throw it all over the yard. We're going to use short passes as, as a running game. But speaking of the offense, Colby, and and look, I don't like making sweeping I don't I don't make this take lightly, I guess. I don't like to make sweeping takes after just two games into, into a season in which I picked OSU to win 10 games. But having said that, and I don't say this lightly, I think it's fair to start questioning is this the beginning of the end for Mike Gundy at OSU? And I say that because this is now, what, four years since Mason Rudolph? The offense isn't just getting worse. It's, it's hit rock bottom. And where does it go up from here? Are they going to start getting NFL offensive linemen? Are they, they got more Tevin Jenkins down on the roster? I don't think so. Um, Spencer Sanders is not panned out. Shane Ellingworth, extremely limited uh, and, and solely reliant on his offensive line due to his immobility. And let's face facts, this offense and this program has not been the same since Joe Wickline left. And I don't think Joe Wickline's this, you know, he, he's bounced around since OSU. He's not just this preeminent offensive line coach that everyone in the country wants all of a sudden now. But the point is, Mike Gundy has not fixed the offensive line since he's left. And my biggest takeaway on Saturday, Colby, was Mason Rudolph is so much better than even I thought he was. Because this offensive line's about the same as it was when he was there, he was just so freaking good, it didn't matter. And James Washington was so good at running past people, it didn't matter. And those two were so great. But I think it's fair, Colby, when you look at their records over the last three or four years, you look at where this offense is. Mike Gundy has fixed the defense. The defense is solid, no doubt. Keeps him in games remarkably. I just don't see... OSU ever getting back to where they were winning double-digit games every year and challenging to win the Big 12 every year. To me, that seems like so less likely than, than OSU losing more games moving forward in the next couple, two, two, three, four years. I think, I think ultimately, Colby, I think it's fair to question, is this the turning point where we look back and go, yeah, that's kind of when the program slipped and that's when the beginning of the end for Mike Gundy came. I don't know how you couldn't be asking that question right now. I really don't because we're in such a transition period right now with Oklahoma State football, with Oklahoma State athletics, with conference realignment, with so many things going on. And I've kind of theorized in the past that Mike will stick around as long as Gunner is around. And then maybe once Gunner's no longer there, uh, he'll decide to, to hang it up. I, I don't know. I don't know how long the Mike Gundy tenure lasts. Um, it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense though, Carson, because where we were at two weeks ago to where we're at today, it just, it feels like we're living in some alternate dimension where we have an off season. I mean, a, a 
an encouraging end of the season last year, an offseason in which we think, okay, Tay Martin, Brendan Presley are going to be really good. Running backs are solid. Offensive line should be fine. Spencer's going to take another step under Tim Rattay. Defense is still going to be really good. I mean, this is where we're at two weeks ago, Carson. And now, now we're sitting here talking about the beginning of the end for the Mike Gundy era. And it's like, did we, did we misevaluate the offseason that badly? And the answer might just be yes. You know, we, we make all these predictions, and then whenever teams fail to live up to what we think they might do, then, uh, then we rip them. But, I mean, in this case, they're failing to live up, I think, to what anybody would have thought that they would do to start this season. And, I mean, if you want to be an optimist and say, look, the bright, bright side is they've won the games. They've won the games. If they go out and beat Boise State this weekend, if they beat Kansas State next weekend and start 4-0, maybe we feel differently. But, I mean, I don't know what anyone's confidence level could be that they're going to win either of the games that they play the next two Saturdays after what we've seen against Missouri State and Tulsa. And at this point, to me, anyone on the offensive side of the ball at Oklahoma State uh, I mean, they've got to show something. Otherwise, their time in Stillwater could very well be limited because there's just no way that Mike Gundy, that Chad Weiberg, that the Oklahoma State fan base are, is going to be okay with not being able to score 28 or not being able to get to 30. I mean, how many, how many times out of 12 games this year, Carson, is Oklahoma State going to get to 30? Well, they've done it, what, four times in the last 16 games, which is just – amazing in this day and age of, of offensive football. So uh, not anytime soon would be my answer. I mean, two, if I put the over under at two and a half, are you taking the over or under getting to 30? Well, I'll take under. I mean, I, I'm not going over. I mean, I would have to lean under two. I mean, I mean you can't it, run the ball. I mean, your offense is basically jump balls and that's not going to work against, you know, better competition because look, they've played their two easiest games of the, in the entire schedule. Right. And Maybe they look terrible. Tulsa's probably better than Kansas. Missouri yeah. State might be. And, and look, I've I've long said the same thing. I, Mike can coach here as long as he wants. He's earned that right. He's best coach in school history. He's won a ton of games. I'm just I'm kind of ready to turn the page myself. Just me watching games, going to OSU football games, covering OSU football games. I just think OSU is in such a different place than when Mike Gundy took over. You're talking about facilities. You're talking about just the overall campus is completely different. The, the athletic department is completely different than when Gundy took over. And I used to be the one saying, careful what you wish for. When Gundy's gone, they might be winning three or four or five games. And that's certainly true. They could not be going to bowl games once Gundy leaves. But I also think there's a flip side to that coin. You just look at what Mike Boynton's done at basketball. And I know it's apples and oranges. He only needs five guys. They don't recruit nearly the same – nearly the same amount of players. It's not the same thing at all. But he's proven there's a lot to recruit to in Stillwater. It's, it's a great college town. The, the athletic department is the best it's ever been. I'm ready for a young, hungry recruiter that's not going to be recruiting in the 30s and 40s. I'm ready for a young, hungry coach that doesn't back down from Oklahoma. That I'm ready for a young, hungry coach that works his tail off on the recruiting trail and posts pictures of him on a private plane flying out to recruits like Mike Boynton does. I'm just Colby. Uh, my, as I walked away from Boone Pickens stadium on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, I thought to myself, you know what? I, I think, I think I'm ready to turn the page. I think I really am. I didn't think I would get to that point three games into this season when I picked them to win 10 games, but I just, I don't see, I don't see the, the reason for optimism moving forward. I really don't.
Yeah, I mean, unless something drastically changes in the next few weeks and we see Spencer take that jump that we thought he was going to take, and I, I don't know. I don't know where it goes from here for Oklahoma State, but it just feels like, and I'd like to know from our listeners, hit us up on Twitter, at Cosio Carson, at Colby J. Powell. I, I'd like to know, does it feel stagnant to everybody else? Because it just feels stagnant to me. Like, yes. It it's not... It's not like sound the alarms. You're not Kansas. I mean, you're not Kansas. We're, we're, I know it, we. we sound, <laughs> if that's the bar, we got bigger issues. I'm, I'm just saying we sound very doom and gloom today, and there are a lot of reasons to be doom and gloom. This program has still been really good over the last decade. It's been the second best program in the Big Twelve, but we are at a point now where I think it just feels very stagnant. And sometimes you just need something different. You need something new. You need a change of pace. You need a different voice in the room. And maybe we're heading that direction. Um, I know that money talks and there's a lot of money still left on that contract. Uh, I know his son's there and he probably wants to be there for a few more years. And if he wants to be hungry and start bringing in better classes, you know, some of the future classes uh, look pretty decent, then maybe this thing can get turned around. But it just, it has become very stagnant in Stillwater. And I don't really know what the way out is i don't really see the path to getting back to rudolph washington i definitely don't see a path to getting back to whedon blackman and winning the conference i just uh i don't know but but also carson the timing couldn't be worse for things to be starting to go downhill with the football program because with conference realignment with the big 12 expanding and not knowing what's going to happen in 2025 it's just the timing could not be worse for things to seemingly kind of be taking a turn in the wrong direction for the football program at oklahoma state yeah and i don't i don't think i don't think mike gundy's gonna get fired i don't think he's gonna quit i think he's gonna coach as long as he wants and that'll be that i just my personal opinion is I'm, I'm ready to turn the page, but that's, that's, that's just me. They may go to Boise state and win the game. I, I don't have any reason to pick that happening, but uh, it, to me, it's, it's, it, it is very stagnant. I think that's a good word to use and we'll have to see how they do at Boise, but um, let's get to bullets and BBs Colby, who you got for your, uh, your positive and your negative players on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, my bullet is going to go to Bryson Green. I think that that was the absolute biggest play of the game. If he doesn't make that play, you're in a situation now where you're either going for it on fourth and long, which they're not going to do, or you're kicking a field goal to keep you behind in that game in the fourth quarter. I, I just think if he doesn't make that catch, I think there's a really good chance Oklahoma State loses that game. And for a true freshman to make that catch, and even watching it live, I thought to myself, man, I really think that he slammed that foot down. And he... I mean, if you watch it from the, the reverse angle, kind of from the field goal pose, you can see that once he catches that ball as he's falling to the ground, he takes that right leg and he extends it and straightens it out and slams that toe down to the turf. I mean, for a true freshman to have that kind of awareness, to get that foot down cleanly and clearly possess the ball, uh, I mean, it's a big-time bullet to me for Bryson Green, who I think saved the game on Saturday. Great catch. Did, did the ball hit the ground? Rashawn Woods was saying on the sports animal that, you know, we were all looking at his foot to see if it was in, but he thought the ball hit the ground, but who cares? <laughs> they counted as a touchdown, I guess. I don't think the ball hit the ground. And if it did, I think he was in control of it. Okay. So, yeah. No, it was I, a great I, catch. Yeah. It was a great catch. And then I, I was there in the stadium and I, I, it was one of those catches that reminded me a lot of Tylen Wallace, the same angle I'm at, obviously in the press box where you just like, there's no way he caught that, did he? That, that looked impossible, and sure enough, he did. So that was, that was awesome. And and I'm going with another young receiver for my my bullet. Uh, Jaden Bray is an absolute dude. 
He he looks like to me the next uh, great wide receiver at Oklahoma State, and I, I covered him in high school. He played it at, at Norman High. He's kind of an interesting uh, diamond in the rough, Jim. That Casey done so good at finding, kind of like a James Washington, where he didn't play football his first two years of high school. His, his mom didn't want him to play football. He grew up to like six four and and put on some weight to where finally his his junior and senior year she let him play. And he's just he's just a physical specimen. He he has those basketball player skills that you see from like the Antonio Gates of the world that translate to receiving the football. And you just saw his athleticism on full display on his touchdown. I mean, it looked like he was getting tackled and and going down, and he just stays on his feet and scores. And he's already made big plays and through two games as a true freshman. And I just think this kid's potential is off the charts. Speaking of Rashawn Woods, he thought he was the best player in the the best receiver in the state. Rashawn Woods couldn't believe more schools didn't didn't go after him just based on his, his physical attributes and his athleticism. And so I gotta I gotta give a big shout out to, to Jaden Bray. I thought he was he was awesome. And I know Mike Gunny keeps harping on how young they are at receiver, but keep throwing 85 the ball. That that tends to work out. Yeah, I mean, I watched a little bit of him in high school. He was, you remember a few weeks ago, he was my kind of breakout player of the year. Um, and I feel pretty good about that, especially we don't know how long this ankle is gonna linger for Tay Martin, who I mean, gosh, what we saw from him against Missouri State, he looked so good early, and then he sprains the ankle, and now we don't know when or if we're going to see him at 100% again because that stuff can really, really linger. But Jaden Bray uh, has stepped in really nicely. So I like that. As far as BBs go, Carson, I don't even really know how to narrow it down on that side of the football. So I'm going to give it to the entire offensive staff because at some point when you seem that inept at every level – is, is it the players or is it the coaches? Where do you put the blame? I understand the players are the guys on the field, but it's not like one guy is having a problem and you can point to one guy and be like, yep, there it is. That's the issue. No, the offensive line's a big problem. Quarterback is a problem right now. Running back, yes, you have an embarrassment of riches, but you can't decide who needs to be out there and when they need to be out there. Receivers are getting shuffled through. You got young guys. I get it that you're young, but Mike Gundy, you get a BB. Casey Dunn, you get a BB. Tim Rattay, you get a BB. Uh, Charlie <laughs> Dickey, you get a BB. The entire offensive stats, staff gets BBs. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. That was excellent. Um, I'm going Casey Dunn just because his press conference again, it just, it's like he doesn't even realize what's going on with his offense. He was just, Oh, I'm tickled. We won. And again, I, I like Casey. I've played golf with him. He's a super nice guy. I just thought he was pretty tone deaf after beating Tulsa in which he had seven points through three quarters. And I, it didn't seem like to me, he was alarmed at all with how they were performing on offense. And he did, he did say, you know, switching from a, a pro style quarterback with no zone read, back to a quarterback with zone read concepts, which they didn't really run a whole lot of zone read and let Spencer run. That's another matter that that does affect you when you have such radically different quarterbacks, which I harped on in the off season. I even said, if Spencer gets hurt and you throw Illingworth in there, like what, do, what does this offense look like? That was one of the main questions I had. And we we're already seeing what it looks like. It's a disaster. And Casey Dunn didn't seem to know that. And I, I hope Mike Gundy said the things publicly privately to Casey Dunn I'm sure he did that they need to get better at drawing up plays because what they've got is not working and for me love I know you love your cowboy backs and I know you can't block but for me the answer is not putting cowboy backs in there and bunching things up it's going more spread do what you did at the end of the year against Baylor and, and Miami 
But I got to give a huge, huge, huge BB to Casey Dunn because it, it's not worked out. And he's, a, he's the best wide receiver coach in the country for my money. Just look at these freshmen that are playing right now. Not every position coach is good at calling plays. There's a skill to calling plays. There's, you have to have a feel for when, when to do certain things. You have to read what the defense is going to do. And Dunn's been focusing on receivers for a decade. Maybe he just doesn't have the feel and the grasp. And maybe, maybe Tim Rattay does. Maybe we'll see a transition like that in the middle of the year. I don't know. That's just me speculating. I have no insight on that. But, again, this offense is broken. Casey Dunn doesn't seem to know it's broken. And I got to give a BB for that. Yeah, it sounds like he's kind of the, uh, the meme of the little animated guy standing in the house that's on fire. This is fine. This is fine. <laughs> that's what it sounded like. Again, he said he was tickled that they won yeah. the game. And he was going to go have a beer in his office to celebrate because he was so happy they won. Hey. And that it's just fundamentals. Well, when you're running it for 1.9 yards against Missouri State and essentially 2.3 against Tulsa, barring the, the broken play from Sanders, that's, that's not fundamentals. That's, that's a completely broken offense in which you had 313 total yards, which used to be, again, a half for OSU football. I just I couldn't believe what I was hearing coming at it coming out of Casey Dunn so I gotta give a BB for that so speaking of coaching malpractice while we're on the subject let me read you off a stat line from Saturday five catches 122 yards and a touchdown oh I'm glad you brought this up thank that you that is the stat line for Jelani Woods in a 42 to 14 win for the Virginia Cavaliers over the Illinois Fighting Illini Jelani Woods five for 122 and a touchdown Whoo, buddy. Speaking of coaching malpractice, I love me some Jelani. I can't, I'm glad he's having success at Virginia and I can't wait to watch him in the NFL, but it just makes your stomach churn thinking that Oklahoma state had that guy and he was totally underutilized. I mean, barely utilized in Stillwater. Uh, what do you have like eight catches all of last season? And then he has five for 122 and a touchdown for Virginia on Saturday. I was not shocked whenever I saw that, but it, it did turn my stomach over a little bit. Does anyone want to tweet me that Jelani can't catch and they shouldn't be on the field? Does, where, where are those people? Tweet me an apology right now if you're listening to this. Also, I, I saw people on Saturday, Carson, tweeting at you like, really? People were saying that? Yes, a lot of people. Of course they were. were yeah. That. Yes. All I ever heard was oh he can't catch well he he's not that good yeah he shouldn't even be on the field i don't even know why you care if he's on the field well here's why i care he's on on the field the dude's gonna play in the nfl he had 129 yards last year total receiving he had 122 on saturday he's six foot eight hmm a six foot eight tight end with easy throws over the middle for spencer sanders where he literally can just lob it up on an offense that was your worst offense since 2005 last year and he doesn't get the football I mean, that, that to me is another reason when I brought up Mike Gundy and is this the beginning of the end? Another big sticking point I have with him, he doesn't even know what he has when he has it. Jelani Woods is the latest example. I call him the Tyreek Hill All-Stars. Let's just go through them. Jelani Woods, NFL tight end, going to play in the NFL. He's a physical freak. Would have been a safety blanket for, for Spencer Sanders last year in a year where they couldn't, literally couldn't move the football or score touchdowns. Didn't even throw him the ball. Tyron Johnson, NFL wide receiver. People would give me so much grief on Twitter. Carson, he doesn't know the routes. He doesn't know the offense. He's not even that good. BS. He's in the NFL. He's playing in the NFL, and he didn't even get on the field. The only time he got on the field is when James Washington got hurt, and he, he lit up Oklahoma, lit him on fire, and they still wouldn't throw him the ball. And the list goes on. Blake Jarwin, NFL tight end, 
since day one, since he was, he's been in the league since day one. They barely threw him the ball. I mean, I, I can keep going and going. And then we get to Tyreek Hill, who they were playing at running back and running him off tackle against Florida State. And look at him now. He is by far, by far the best wide receiver in the NFL, the most dangerous player in the entire NFL full of freakazoids. And they were running him off tackle at running back. That's a whole nother thing. Like Mike Gundy has his reputation as his offensive guru and offensive, you know, minded head coach. He doesn't even know NFL talent when it's on his roster. Don't even make me go back to when he played Alex Kate over Brandon Whedon. That, that would be a whole nother podcast, but just Colby, I'm sure I'm forgetting other players that they just refuse to play and don't even know that they have. That to me is a, as big of an issue as it is just their overall schemes and not being able to move the football. They don't even know when they have NFL talent when it's staring them in the face. Yeah, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, more people are coming around on this, but I'm glad you agree with what I've been saying for a couple of years, which is that Tyreek is the best receiver in the NFL, and there's a little bit of a gap to number two. People throw out D-Hop, people throw out Devontae Adams. You know, even last year, Metcalf was getting some love. Tyreek Hill is the best receiver in the NFL. He is so dangerous, and I understand he's got the best quarterback in the NFL throwing to him. It's a friendly offensive system. All great receivers have great quarterbacks throwing to them. It's a symbiotic relationship. But Tyreek Hill is the best receiver in the NFL. And, yeah, I just couldn't help but think, think the same thing whenever I saw Jelani Wood's stat line. It's like this is another guy who's big-time talented going to play in the league that Oklahoma State was just like, yeah, he's a guy. He can get, he can get a few snaps here and there. And it's just it's disheartening to see it time and time and again. And Jelani's just the most recent example. So, uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to throw that out there. Honor That's coaching. Point, That's Jelani coaching. Wood. That's I like Kalani Woods, by the way. That's coaching malpractice, is it not? A hundred percent. It's coaching unbelievable. Like, yeah. I'm just, I, I, I've, I know, le- I'm, Mike Gunny knows more about football. He has more football knowledge in his pinky than I have in my entire body. I, I admit that. I'm not sitting here saying I'm some football expert and no X's and O's through and through. I've never, I've never once tried to state that. But it's obvious that... <laughs> It's obvious when I see an NFL player, and I'm pretty good at recognizing that because, again, everyone gave me so much crap about Tyron Johnson that he wasn't that good, didn't know the play, and look at him. He's in the NFL. He's been making plays with the Chargers. Now he's on the Jaguars. He's a total stud, and, and they didn't even throw him the football. So, again, just that's another thing that, look, we all want what's best for OSU. Could, could they have better schemes? Sure. But – Schemes don't matter when you, you literally don't know how to get the ball to your best players. And that, that's been a huge problem for a very, very long time at OSU. And Gundy likes seniority. Maybe that's a reason. You know, maybe guys don't do everything right, as he says. That's fine. That's all well and good. He has a program to run, I understand. But it's beyond frustrating that you know it in the moment they're underutilizing an NFL caliber player. And then when they leave, they're better in the NFL than they were at OSU. It's just, it's a, it's become more than a trend. It's a, it's an epidemic. Yeah. And Carson, you mentioned the Jaguars. Speaking of the Jags, are they going to lose their coach after one week in the NFL? So he can go to USC because that would be so urban Meyer and it would be so hilarious. It's actually, I think what I'm rooting for. That would be so urban Meyer that, that Jacksonville's a train wreck. I mean, to get blown out by that terrible Houston team, that does not bode well for the rest of the year. I was on Texans plus three and a half, by the way, my favorite line of the week. 
Uh, let's let's break down. I, that, that's an unbelievable bet. I would I would I would have hammered Jacksonville, which I would have lost my my Urban shirt. Myers entire tenure, whether it's one week, one year, or a decade in the NFL, it's going to be a disaster. Fade the Jags. Uh, what do you think of the uniforms? Chris's University Spirit uniform review. They went white, gray, white. I went over. I think on my prediction, although I think I got white helmet, but I went white, orange, white. So I missed the shirts. I. <laughs> I'm very, very neutral on the grays. They're fine. Like, I understand you're going to run them out once or twice a year just to mix things up. But I don't think anybody gets really excited for the grays, do they? Nah, I, I prefer the orange, the white, or the or the black, clearly. I think we all do. Um, so, it's it's fine. It's a good accent. Just For me, I, I like wearing the grays in the non-conference like they did. I think just get it out of the way, wear that then, and, and move on down the road. So, I give them a solid, like, C. Uh, for me, I, I did like the 9-11 patch. Thought that was a nice touch. Again, yep. the OSU equipment staff is really good at, at little touches like that. I thought that was that was really good. Um, Joel Klatt had an interesting tweet that uh, got my Twitter mentions fired up. Uh, Joel Klatt said, says, quote, quick top of mind ranking, which is the best job in college football? He ranks that number one, Texas, number two, Alabama, number three, USC, number four, Ohio State, number five, Georgia. He says, what do you think? And Colby, I brought this up on the pod about a month ago. Besides Daryl Royal and Mac Brown, Texas has been a middle of the road college football program. And what I said to him was they've won double digit games once in the last 11 years. And they've done it twice from 1983 all the way through 2000. That's They've they've won one they've won two conference titles in forty years and one national title in fifty years and it's the best job in the country. At what point are people going to realize that Texas is all it's all figments of our imagination that is this great job? There is no history whatsoever to prove that. Mac Brown was an awesome coach, won a national championship, but he won one and he won two conference titles and that's really what it comes down to. And so I. There's no way in hell Texas is number one. No, Texas is not number one. Not only are they not number one, I probably wouldn't have Texas in my top 10 uh, for reasons I've talked about in the past. The booster situation down there is a disaster. Somebody put it, I can't remember who it was on, on Twitter last night. Somebody put it well and said, the thing with Texas is when new coaches show up, they think that everything's going to be great because the boosters have all the money and all the resources to do anything they want. And then they rattle off an eight and five and they realize that the boosters have all the money and all the resources to do whatever they want. And the, the boosters are calling weekly, wanting to talk to the coach. Texas, the Texas job is a disaster. I don't think I'd have it in my top 10. Uh, it's certainly not over the elites in college football, which is Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU. I mean, LSU to me is a very underrated job. The last three head coaches there have won national titles, including Ed O, including Les Miles. Uh, I think Florida is probably a better job than Texas. I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, Notre Dame or Texas, what do you think is a better job? I think Notre Dame. That's a tough one because both of those aren't what they used to be, but I think I would still go Notre Dame. USC or Texas, better job. I think you can recruit nationally at Notre Dame. Now, it's harder to get recruits in academically, but a slight lean to Notre Dame just based on history. What was, what was the next one? Uh, USC or Texas. Oh, I'm going USC. I think so, they're, too. They're in my top five. I mean, I, I just think they are the L.A. team. They are the California team. And if you're any good at all, you're going to get dudes that just want to be in L.A. 
And you want to be there at a legit football program more than you do at UCLA. Yeah, I think so too. I'd go USC. And you know what a really sneaky good job in college football is that I don't think people throw out often enough whenever we talk about best jobs in the country. I think Oregon has all the resources with Phil Knight and the Nike connection. They've everybody, it seems like who goes up there ends up winning. You know, Chip Kelly was great up there. Looks like they've got a, a really solid program this year, taking down Ohio state on Saturday. I, I don't know that I would have Oregon as one of the elite jobs in college football, but I do think it's a very underrated job. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. So, it's to me, it's them and Clemson to me are, modern day blue bloods They're, they've become blue bloods Agreed. just over the last 10 20 years 10 15 years more likely but uh, i ranked it as what did i rank it as i had ohio state number one just the history speaks for itself they're the they're they're like a pro team in that state they don't have a they don't have a second university that to, to compete with and ohio state's fan base is just massive and you can recruit that entire region they can get kids out of florida California, Texas. They recruit a bunch of – they've got Josh Proctor out of Tulsa. Uh, I think Ohio State's the best job in the country. I would put Oklahoma, too. And I know this is an OSU podcast, but since World War II, they have the best winning percentage uh, among anyone, and they have more wins than anyone since World War II. I just think history has proven that Oklahoma over the last 75 years is one, two, or three, however you want to rank it, in terms of best jobs in the, in, in the country. It doesn't matter who their coach is. They had – they had that one spell in the 90s with John Blake and Howard Schnellenberger uh, and Gary Gibbs somewhat. Past that, they've been just a, a dominant force in the sport. That's why I ranked them ahead of Alabama. I mean, Alabama, before Saban arrived, I have Alabama three, they were losing to Mike Gundy in Shreveport. And they had Mike Shula before that. And Dennis Franchione. I mean, they, they were not great for a long, sustained period of time. And then I think Saban's just kind of a unique – uh, coach and he's the best coach of all time and has just turned them into a, a juggernaut. Maybe they'll maybe they'll continue to be without him, but I have questions about that, which is why I ranked them three. USC four for the reasons I stated. If you're good in LA, you saw what Pete Carroll was able to do. That they're they're by far the best program on the West Coast, and they can get just whoever they want if they have their their stuff together. A sneaky great job for me, Colby, is LSU. You can get so many freaking dudes out of Louisiana and Florida and Georgia to that to that university and anyone who's good in Louisiana goes to LSU and Georgia just they don't have the history to be top five they haven't won as much as they should but just the level of talent you can get at Georgia it's the the, the bar is just you have to be a terrible coach not to win at Georgia with how much talent you get so that's kind of my top five yeah to me and I feel this way about most things uh, I think it's better to rank in tiers because one two and three to me are really interchangeable when it comes down to personal preference one little thing swaying you one way or the other it's OU Ohio State and Alabama those are the top three and then the next tier I think you have Georgia LSU USC and then the tier after that is whenever we get to like I think Clemson Oregon um, and I really I'm sorry I don't think I would have Texas in that tier I mean people just throw out the money I mean, that's fine. They have a lot of money. We get it. It doesn't really translate to good coaching success. I mean, look at the coaches that they've run through there. Charlie Strong, Texas ruined him. Tom Herman, Texas ruined him. 
Texas is going to ruin Steve Sarkeesian. Texas ruins coaches' careers. How are we still referring to this as one of the best jobs in the country? It wouldn't even be in the next tier for me. It's probably a top 15 to 20 job in college football because of the money. And if you can win there, then you can be a hero and make a career out of it. But if you don't win there, Austin will absolutely ruin you. And we've seen it time and time again. Yeah, I mean, we have 50 years of history. I mean, it's just at a certain point, the job is what it is. And I know it has all this great potential, but there's those external factors you've mentioned with boosters and and all the people you got to answer to in Austin. I think it's a big reason why no one's been really successful there other than Mac Brown over the last 50 years. So interesting list. I love Joel Klatt. I I just strongly, strongly disagree with him that Texas is the best job. So uh, anything else we need to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, one other thing, and that is Kenny Gajewski. Kenny Gajewski every year goes out and lands an absolute monster in the transfer portal. This time it's two-time All-American, National Player of the Year from 2020. Miranda Ellis has signed with OSU Softball. She spent two years at Texas, two years at Oregon, and now she'll spend her final season at Oklahoma State. Short in 2020 season, she struck out 94 batters, 96 batters in 84 innings, 1.25 ERA going 13-3, and and she had 19 RBIs in 54 at-bats with seven doubles and four home runs. Kenny Gajewski, take a bat he did it again he's a monster it's like uh he's he's becoming like boynton softball yeah Yeah, he's unbelievable you're in the transfer portal you come to stillwater that's just kind of how it works yeah and uh you know the women's college world series they added they they announced NCAA announced like a week or two ago that they were going to add two extra days to prevent the the calamity of osu softball playing at two o'clock in the morning so with all that talent he's got, hopefully he'll be back in Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series, and he won't have to play at 2 a.m. anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all in on Kenny G and uh, the Oklahoma State Cowgirl softball program. Uh, Cowboy Golf teased up this weekend at Olympia Fields, great pro, uh, great course outside of Chicago. So that should be a lot of fun. And the next week we can talk a little Ryder Cup because Oklahoma State has a Ryder Cup or one Mr. Uh, Victor Hovlin playing for the enemy. I'm not looking forward to rooting against Victor, but it's going to happen. Yeah, I'll see what the score is and who he's matched up against before I make that determination. Oh, I think he's going to be a menace. I think he, he might go 3-0 and or 4-0, and however many times he plays. Uh, he's yeah, going to be awesome. I'm, I'm absolutely rooting for the Americans, but if the Americans are, like, clearly ahead and he's playing against somebody that I don't particularly care for in singles, I'll root for Hovland if it's pretty clear that the Americans are going to win the game. Give him DeChambeau. I want him to just beat DeChambeau. I'd be happy with that. I, that would be fun. Uh, yeah, again, Americans win the cup. Hovland has success. Win-win situation. Yeah, love it. Uh, one more thing before we get out of here. OSU is a four-and-a-half-point underdog, I see, to Boise State on uh, on Saturday. Uh, we'll, we'll break the game down on Friday, but uh, Colby. Oh, boy. I know Boise isn't out of freaking Bama, but they were up 21 on UCF and let them come back. They beat the tar out of UTEP. They have a good quarterback, a good offense. Their defense is is pretty good too. I uh, oh boy, this could be a, a long Saturday. It's an eight o'clock kick in, in in Boise on Saturday. I'm uh I'm a little concerned about this one. The line has been coming down. It opened at five. I'm staring at it right now at four at my book, and I, I don't particularly know why it's coming down. Uh, probably reputation for Oklahoma State. My my gut says lay the points with Boise, but. I'm not 100% there. I'm, I I'm oftentimes will base my predictions for games based on what lines do and how they move. Uh, I firmly believe that those who set these lines are much smarter than we are and much better at predicting. 
things than we are. So I'll keep an eye on it throughout the week before I make my official prediction on Friday. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I do think this shapes up to be just one of those games where we're all <laughs> the narratives have gone toward Gundy and where this program's going. And typically when that happens, they come out and play really well and, and, yeah. and, and light, light, light people up. So maybe, maybe that'll happen. I just, I haven't seen very many reasons to believe that. And maybe, maybe they've been playing the best game of possum I've ever seen and barely beating Missouri state and Tulsa. I'm dubious. That's the case, but Colby, you and I will break that down on Friday and uh, have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you then. Everybody have a great week. This was cathartic. I enjoyed it. Go Pokes. <laughs>